Hello, and welcome to the Medical Humanities Podcast, the official podcast of BMJ's Medical Humanities Journal. We invite you to listen in and join the conversation from global perspectives on health, medicine, and accessibility to interviews with social justice activists, filmmakers, artists, and academics from around the world. Stay up to date with public discussions that matter to medicine and humanities because life happens at the intersections. Hello and welcome to this new edition of Medical Humanities podcast series. Uh, this is Khalid Ali, film and media correspondent at Medical Humanities Journal. It is my great pleasure to have with me today Edward Lovelace, award-winning British documentary filmmaker. Without any further ado, I will hand over to Edward to tell us more about himself and how film became his calling. Ed, great to have you with us today. Thank you, Khaled. Yeah, it's an honour, mate. Thank you, mate, for asking to do this. Um, how film became my calling? Well, I think on reflection, looking back as a kid, I would get obsessed with one movie at a time. And I'd watch that film every single morning before school. And I'd come back from school and just continue where I left off and just finish it that evening. And I would, I would do that on loop, you know, for weeks on end. And I think looking back, I definitely used film and, and specifically like, you know, not just any film, but I, I would get obsessed with sort of one movie that seemed to, uh, help me and, you know, help me in my sort of figuring out the world and how and my relationship to it. So my sort of obsession with film definitely started early and I've seen uh, a lot of films many, many times. Give me a few examples so I could get to a sense of what uh, uh, sort of uh, inspirational films that made up your creative uh, artillery. Yeah, I mean, at the beginning, it was like, you know, uh, it was Robin Hood animation. That was okay. really early days. But I was then I became obsessed with the sound of music. Okay. Um, and I then moved on to The Great Escape with Steve McQueen. Um, yeah. my, my brother, who's now a filmmaker too, but obviously, you know, when I was younger, he was a few years older than me. So I was sort of getting access to films that maybe other people my age weren't. So I, I then became obsessed with like Godfather Part Two, uh, Big Lebowski. Um, but I would, I would, and then, you know, when I was a little bit older, I remember, uh, a film called The Wonder Boys with Robert Downing Jr., which is, like, a film that I absolutely love. Again, like, you know, th- these films I would just watch over and over and over again. And I guess of course. Yeah. as, like, a, as a, as an adult or as a young as a young adult, um, the films of Alan Clark and Gus Van Sant, those were the films that made me think that maybe the way I thought about stories and cinema, that made, that those films made me think I could make films because they seemed to sort of show me something that I'd never seen before. And somehow once I'd started to see, you know, Gus Van Sant's movies and Alan Clark's movies specifically, I yeah. think I started, I started to see a film language that I could imagine uh-huh. myself sort of uh, working in, w- w- within those walls, basically. Fantastic. Thank you so much for, for that uh, introduction to how you became obsessed, if I may say, with, with film. Now, I mm-hmm. uh, watched with great admiration and love uh, your uh, recent documentary film, uh, Name Me Lawand, that premiered at the London Film Festival in October uh, 2022. 
tell us a bit about uh, Naomi Lawand, how and when you met the young uh, Kurdish uh, boy Lawand and his family, and what made you decide that you want to tell this particular story? Tell us more. Naomi Lawand is the story of Lawand, who is the 12-year-old Kurdish boy who grew up with no language um, uh, in North Iraq with his family, and his family uh, his family couldn't access a sort of deaf education for him. And so they uh, left northern Iraq and they, they travelled uh, and yeah, they were migrants for a year and ended up in the year trying to find somewhere essentially where they, where they felt that Luwand would have the best chance of yeah, finding a deaf education essentially. And ended up in the UK in Derby and got taken in by this really beautiful school called the Royal Deaf Derby, Royal School for Deaf Derby. And um, this, the film essentially is the story of Luwand learning British Sign Language and being able to tell his story and sort of understand the world and how it works through language. It's also the story of how the family were trying to stay in the UK and how the sort of community of Derby and Luwand School helped them sort of fight against the Home Office to allow them to stay and allow Luwand to continue learning. In the end, it's a sort of friendship movie, really, and, and, and it's like Luan's mission to try and stay in the same place as his friends and, and in the place that he he considers his home. I came across Luan and his family because I saw a photo of Luan and his brother. They were really young at the time. They just got to Derby. Um, and I read up a little bit about their situation and sort of started to learn that he was a family that didn't have one common language, his parents spoke Kurdish. Luan's older brother, um, who's one year older than him, he he spoke Kurdish and was learning English, um, and yeah. as in spoken word English. And Luan was beginning to learn British Sign Language in Derby, but they, I guess they didn't. I was I was thinking, I wonder how this family communicated. You know, I have a big family. I love movies about families. I was just mm-hmm. wondering how this family communicated, and and actually, I think I was wondering if the process of making a film might be a part of their journey and kind of communication. So I um, contacted the school, Luan's school, and just totally fell in love with the school, obviously fell in love with Luan and his family. And I spent mm. like a year at the school in Derby learning sign language myself um, and just just getting a great sense of joy by being with these people. And, and obviously Luan and his family at the time, they were pretty detached from from any sense of community in Derby. They just arrived, they didn't know anyone. Luand was trying to figure out where they were, why they were there. Um, and so my role then was just being um, as a sort of new friend to them. And that was really, like I said, just like a really, um, like a period in my life that I look back with great memories. Because yeah, at that point, I wasn't really trying to make a film. I was just enjoying being with them and spending time with yeah. them and getting to know them. I guess when I started to really think it could be a film that I would be the right person in telling was, you know, at the beginning when I first met Luand, he was sort of still trying to learn language and still trying to understand what he'd been through Mm. and where he was. And then obviously I had an idea of what a film would be like that would represent him. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, lots of like, lots of references come to mind. You know, like biting down the butterfly. My previous film, The Possibilities of Endless. And I guess any film where mm. someone is trying to uh, express themselves and 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 they can't yet. 
so that at the beginning was sort of what I could imagine a film being like but what was so mm-hmm. so amazing was just watching Luan's personality sort of blossom so once he had uh sort of gained control of of his language and once he once he'd got access to British Sign Language through his teachers in his school mm-hmm. his personality just exploded and mm-hmm. at that point Luan's then the then that Luan was just like a force of nature and was just mm-hmm. so his personality you know was starting to show what it is now which is like he's so he's just, he's just an amazing <laughs> yeah he is he is I mean he he, he is like a little superstar really it, it, it's 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 so amazing to be in his company and his wit and his humor and he's so um charismatic sure. I would so say sure. Yeah, he really is. He really is. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's definitely got this sort of magneticism, and he is really mm-hmm. the heartbeat of his school. When he's mm-hmm. in the room, his personality sort of fills it, and he is mm-hmm. the superstar. And at that point, I was like, right, my job as a filmmaker is to sort mm-hmm. of forget any sort mm-hmm. of preconceived ideas I might have had about what this could be, and instead just sort of get out of the way of Luan to just let Luan be be the person who was just going to sort of lead every creative decision. And then it was all about myself and my film team working in a way that, that allowed Luan just like the space and, and a sort of stage to be himself basically. And, and so then that, that's when I started to really think mm. this film is going to be special because, because Luan is just so special. And if we can just let him, let mm. him be himself, then mm-hmm. it will be, it will be, yeah special and cool it is a special film indeed having watched it twice once at the london film festival and um, in preparation for our uh, podcast interview today and uh, you, you you mentioned definitely lawanda is a very charismatic uh great uh young uh young child you know now it's coming to adolescence with great determination but there, in your portrayal in, uh, uh, in the film there's this special relationship as well between Lawand and his older brother Rawa and the communication challenges between him and his parents and how that evolved over the years till I'll let you uh, fill in bits of the story about how that journey you all took together as a, a documentary filmmaker Lawand Rawa and his and their parents how they, they evolved all of them not only uh, Lawan, so tell us how long you've been with them and the change you've seen, you know, happening within the, this uh, uh, family and the dynamics between them. It's going to get close to sort of four years now since mm-hmm. I first, you know, like met the family and we started sort of doing this together and witnessing the sort of change in all of them and their relationship has been such a sort of amazing one. I mean, I think first off, Luand and Rawa's relationship at the like straight from the off, I think you could tell, which I think lots of siblings will will relate to. Mm-hmm. They had mm-hmm. a sort of unspoken way of understanding each other. So, yeah, so they didn't mm-hmm. share a language. Obviously, Luand had no language, and Rawa could speak Kurdish, but they you know they they just had a way of connecting and mm-hmm. looking after each other that is pretty amazing to like sort of be mm-hmm. be in the presence of 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 a connection like that that felt really special um mm-hmm. i think one of the, one of the biggest changes in the family i guess is that Luan's parents they felt i guess in the way they were raised they their sort of goal was that Luan would get somewhere where he could learn language 
And obviously that was going to be sign language. But I think their goal initially was that sign language would help him then learn verbal language. I think, Mm -hmm. yeah, again, I guess the way they viewed the world was that if Luan could verbally communicate, which obviously is is the mainstream, is the norm Mm -hmm. uh, on this planet, is that so that they knew then Luan would... You know, he could he could cope in any situation. He he could thrive in this in any situation. That's what their sort of goal was. Mm. I guess what's been amazing to witness, which the film talks about, which I think is a lesson for like everyone to learn, which I started mm-hmm. to learn obviously much mm-hmm. more about for making this film, was that when someone is able to communicate in the language that that most accurately represents them, it allows them to mm-hmm. express themselves in the way that they choose. Mm-hmm. when that happens someone can truly be themselves and and that is an that is a powerful powerful thing and everyone everyone deserves that right and and, mm-hmm. and watching Luand communicate verbally or at least try to like as in speaking in kurdish with his mm-hmm. parents you know, he's so limited in his mm-hmm. in what he can, in what he can say their understanding of him and, and Luand's the tools Luand well, I guess the limitation of of of, of the tools that Lawand has to communicate verbally, you, you, you just don't. You, he, he isn't being his his mm-hmm. full self. Whereas obviously, when Lawand's communicating in British Sign Language, all of these different layers of his personality come out. And like mm-hmm. I said, like you know, the, the way Lawand is able to convey humour and wit and, and banter and, and a real sort of bravado in British Sign mm-hmm. Language is one of like the most amazing Immense. things that I've ever seen. I think the thing that I guess as a filmmaker I'm really really proud of is that I think whenever I start making a film making sure that the film the presence of the film ha- is having a positive effect on the people that I'm making it with that mm-hmm. as a as a thing right at the beginning of every project that's the thing I really care about if yeah. then that process leads to a finished film then great but the thing that I really care about at the beginning is that it has to have a positive influence on the people that are on on the subjects you were quite faithful to the family's uh, point of view when they justified why they wanted him to communicate uh, using spoken language because of their uh, fears of him being bullied, being different, being ostracized, whether that's back in Iraq or in the new, uh, you know, uh, in the UK. So they had their uh, reasons and you presented that, uh, I think, uh, very clearly and and and. and took on board their viewpoint as well. So it's as much as it's Lawan's story, but it's, again, including what his family thought. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What, what I think, you know, like Luan's parents, all of their choices since luan has been alive have been, have been for him. So, so they've been trying to do everything that they think is right to, like, give him the best chance of a life. I think the thing that's interesting in mm. their journey, which I, I felt was really important to depict in the film, was was the shift in their understanding that that. Mm-hmm. And I think this 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 obviously every parent must go through this when they're at the beginning when they have a when they have a new kid, the parent the parent is in control and making all the decisions for their kid. At a certain point, mm-hmm. the kid is going to mm-hmm. grow old enough and confident enough to know themselves in a way that even their parents can't know. And then, mm. and then the kid is becoming a person, and they, they then have the right to make their own choices, and they know what is going to be right for them. And obviously, Luand, at a certain mm-hmm. point, 
I guess his parents could really see, wow, like when Lawand mm. is communicating with his friends inside, when Lawand is living a life that is true to his deaf identity, he mm. is he he is this little superstar and he's so happy. And mm. when he's at, at home communicating verbally, he's a different person and he's really frustrated and, and that isn't his true self. So I think the parents over time started to see that their initial idea was wrong really and they had mm-hmm. to sort of relearn Adapt. themselves mm. yeah exactly mm. yeah and i think the thing that i was going to say the thing that i'm really proud of is that through mm. the film obviously lots of our crew um are deaf and when the mm. parents i guess mm. met our crew i think they mm. were meeting you know just really amazing creative mm. confident people and i think the parents for the mm. first time were seeing people where and they could see that to Lawan, these people woke up sort of becoming you know people mm. that he was looking up to that helped the parents reshape how they saw the world i guess it he confirmed or gave them the confidence that the decision they they've taken was the right one and they could there is an aspirational you know seeing these people that that Lawan does have, you know, chances and he can fulfill his potential. I know that the film premiered to a, to a sold out audience, uh, full audience at the London Film Festival. Uh, with Lawan present, uh, so tell me about the reception of the film at that screening and what were your expectations? I could, uh, you know, uh, interpret the film on several levels. It's a motivational story. It's a, uh, uh, a Kurdish immigrant family survival story. It's an ode to the power of community, and, and other and specifically the deaf community and the challenges that they face. But reception at the London Film Festival and what were you? What were your expectations? How do you want the audience to perceive Lawand and his family story? Thanks, Kevin. That's a really lovely question. Yeah, London Film Festival was uh, mm. just such. Yeah, that there was such a just such a memorable and a joyful moment. And obviously we had Luand, his brother, and his dad in the audience. Luan's mum uh and their and their little brother weren't there because his mum um is about to have uh, another another son. So they couldn't come. But yeah, Luand and his brother and his dad were there and it was just felt super special. And I think mm-hmm. really like like Luand um for a twelve year old, I mean he just took everything in his stride and mm-hmm. in true sort of Luan fashion just seemed to sort of not care too much about the sort of fanfare and I think there were lots of people there that were very excited to meet him especially after yeah. the film um, uh-huh. but Luan just took it, all, took it all in his stride and I think just like really he's such a humble person and I think he mm-hmm. doesn't he, he likes being central stage but he also mm-hmm. likes other people also being central stage. I think him and his brother just really, I think they, 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 I think for them, that was the, that was the big climax of, of their, mm-hmm. of their journey and their kind of connection with us as filmmakers. I think for me as a filmmaker, whenever I meet someone, I always just say, look, basically the sort of vic- the victory at the end of the film is that, is that you guys as, mm-hmm. as a, whether it's around his family or whether it's past people that I've made films about, the victory is that you guys watch the film and you are proud and you feel like this film is a sort of, is a creative extension of, of who you are. I want people to watch the films I make about them and, and they think they really see their sort of spirit 
their personality mm. on screen and it's as much their film as it is mine. So that was my goal. But then to have yeah. this big audience, LFF and for Luand and Rauer to really see this big group of people, you know, like people in London and people who obviously travel from all around the world to go to the London Film Festival, the fact that they saw all these people connect with them, I think mm -hmm. it was a pretty amazing thing. Very um, special. And then, yeah, it was amazing, amazing, yeah. And then, kind of, yeah, the, the, the sort of second, the second part of that question, which was like mm. how I want people to interpret the movie. I think mm. for me... The thing that Lawand would be most proud of, and the thing that, mm -hmm. as a filmmaker, I just had such a such an amazing time doing was sort of allowing the film to sort of become a sort of buddy movie. You know, at a certain mm -hmm. point, Lawand and his friends, like really, there were there were lots of different things happening in the movie with the Home Office, uh, with that sort of battle going on. Also, Lawand mm. and his parents. And Luanda and his family, them, them sort of figuring out how to communicate with each other. But obviously, at the core of it, it's it's a film about friendships. It's it's mm -hmm. Luan, it's a kid dreaming, fantasizing of being able to have a friend and understanding how friendship works, and and and, and hoping one day he can, with language, make his friends laugh and 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 connect with them. And then, obviously, at the end of the film, he gets that. But then, obviously, he's then fighting to remain with them because he wants to stay in the place where his friends are. And I think that that element of the movie and how that sort of changed how I was making it, making you know, thinking about some of my favourite films, films like Good War Hunting, films mm -hmm. like Stand By Me, films that yeah. have other things going on but at the heart of them they're about a group of a group of friends and and, and it's all and, it, and it's and it's everything kind of leads back to that that's the thing mm. that i was really excited about people connecting with also i think mm. Luanda and his friends often i think they think as a group of young um deaf kids i think they think that a hearing audience might think that all they do is talk about their deaf identity or talk mm. about Simon. Obviously, they're just mm. kids being mates, you sure. know, kind of just hanging out. And I think they were, Luan was, was Luan and Rauer were like, I think the thing they were most proud about was that the film just allows that mm. to be depicted. And I think at the end, lots of the audience, especially the hearing audience, were coming mm. up to me and Luan's family and just sort of, wanting to know more about Luanda and his friends. I think that was the thing that was striking them. So I think that's the, the thing that I'm most sort of proud that people connected mm. with. While you told uh, this story and the, the multi, the, the several levels of uh, communication and friendship and all the wonderful themes that you've shared with us, inspired by classic films that explore that friendship. Uh, but there were some creative decisions that you have made. And for the listeners uh, who would be really keen to watch the film, I'm sure, after listening to your wonderful uh, you know, journey, uh, there was some uh, specific, you've divided the film into seven chapters. And I'll let you t tell the audience, the, the listeners about uh, uh, the, the decision that, uh, you know, you wanted to signpost, highlight that each chapter of this story as presented in the film signifies a significant uh, life turning event or a conscious decision. So tell us about the, the, the chapters in the film. So the structure of the movie is like, you know, uh, is relatively... 
um, formal, I guess, in the, in the you know, there's three parts to it, really, in terms mm-hmm. of how, how the story is told, which obviously is pretty classic. I think mm-hmm. um, when we were editing the film, we, we started to see it as these, you know, at the, at, the, at the beginning, we didn't know it would be seven, but it felt like these seven stages of A. Mm-hmm. Luan's language kind of uh, ability and also mm-hmm. the, I guess, these seven sort of big events. And then it started to just be really clear that well, if we chapterise them, then you would know that at those certain points, they also were the sort of titles of the chapters, you know, helped you understand that Luan was, it basically helped track Luan's learning of language. And at the beginning, mm-hmm. it might just be one word. But by the end, uh, you know, chapter seven, that word can be quite broad. And that's sort of, we were interested in sort of playing with the idea of, as Luan was learning certain words, you know, one word mm-hmm. can mean so many things and it can be so mm. broad. Um, mm. And and it just seemed right. Like, you know, the, the, I, I guess the, the, the waves of the film, you know, I always think about a kind of story or a movie in waves. And obviously you have the calm before the wave and then the wave approaches mm-hmm. you and gets bigger and bigger. Then you're widening the wave and then it sort of crashes and then you recover and then another wave come, is, comes on the horizon. And, and it just seemed to play out like that we you know we just seem to be told in these sort of seven sections also we mm-hmm. like the idea of you know the sort of titles of the film are all in british sign language and then the way yeah yeah so obviously you see the sort of um you saw you, you see the image of the finger spelling on screen mm-hmm. and then in, yeah. bra- in brackets sort of smaller lower down you see the mm-hmm. sort of um the written the english word. version mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and I think we were we were excited about saying to the audience, "This film is going to be totally true to the land, and mm. all the titles are going to be British sign language because that's that that's his primary language." And and that was another mm. sort of when we were trying to figure out these chapter headings, that felt like mm. another way to put Luan's footprint on the film, basically. Let's uh, select one, Faith, the last uh, chapter in the film. What a huge, huge concept and 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 ideas behind it and 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 a, a way of life and so t- tell me about faith i think basically that chapter of the film really by that point you know mm. obviously like the the kind of undercurrent of the movie is that which was obviously totally true throughout which is what was happening mm. when we were filming was that Lewand had all of his um i guess emotional internal goals to try and overcome mm. what he'd been through, to try and understand where he was and to try and learn language and to kind of form these friendships. But the thing that was happening in the background always, which was so unsettling for the family, was that they didn't know what was mm. happening with their, with the home office. Status, mm. immigration exactly, status and yeah, being which, allowed yeah, to. Which, to, which mm. is such a, cru- yeah, which, you know, where, where, where the fact that Lamanda and his family were able just to sort of be so positive and find lots of mm. space to, have fun and be present and live in the moment was that 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 is something that i've got so much respect for the fact they were able to do that and then obviously luanda always knew that there was a chance that at any moment this could all be taken away so it's such a mm-hmm. it's such a crazy thing for someone so young to go through but i think at the end of the film i think luan starts to realize that even if the family have to leave um mm-hmm. and even if uh, Luan has to go back to one of the countries that they'd sort of passed through on the way or 
um, whatever happens, I think Luan starts to believe, he starts to have faith that he has, that, that with language, with his personality, mm. wherever he is, he will be able to sort of make this planet one that one that can be a home for him, basically. So I think mm. it becomes mm. way his his belief in himself, and I guess mm. a belief, I guess a hope, like, like like a sort of belief in the world, because mm. he's obviously mm. in the film. He see he sees more than just his parents change mm. their perception to do to do with sign language. Obviously, we can talk about it in a little bit, but obviously, he sees the UK change their perception as well. So I think he has this faith, he has this belief that um, that that whatever happens, he will be able to mm. find hope and he will be able to sort of carve out a place in the world. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, that he will be able to call home, basically. Yeah, so. And as well, this faith is shared with, with Rawa. I, I uh, remember a sentence from the film when Rawa said that they, when they started the journey together, him and Lawand, Rawa and Lawand, they wanted... Uh, a different planet and they wanted to immigrate to a different planet where they can be themselves, where Lawand can express himself and his identity and so forth. And towards the end, uh, Rowan says, actually, this place could be this place where we are now, whether it's Darby or elsewhere, but we can, uh, Lawand and his family, they can make a difference, they can make a change. And actually, they don't have to uh, travel to a different planet to be themselves. So that was a very powerful yeah message mm. yeah exactly yeah 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 so so during our interviews with Rwandan Rauer this kind of thing kind of came up that Rwandan Rauer had said that you know ever since they were kids they always mm. they sort of thought maybe that this whole that 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 the whole of planet earth wasn't somewhere that was right for them that maybe they mm -hmm. were sort of destined to exist somewhere else in the galaxy and they would find you know it, it, I guess it was their you know sort of like um quite ch childlike dream. <laughs> uh yeah. yeah dream of being like well so far all we are all we're experiencing is just various places that don't feel like home um mm. and so maybe they maybe there's a different planet altogether that where we can exist um it can I be think, and obviously yeah. What, yeah and what's so amazing i think in the end Rawa and Luan both realise, I think they just start to believe in change. I think when you're younger, you think the world is is, is what it is and and, mm. and, and nothing's going to change it and you have to just accept it. I think when you get older, especially Luan has got more confidence through language and he's so, Luan's so in control of his destiny, like that's how he mm. feels, that I think suddenly mm. Luan and Rawa feel quite empowered that the world is somewhere that, that given time and circumstance can change um and so for them they're just like well all we needed was to know that that was possible and then now we can we can help that happen basically and that leads me to ask you about the historical landmark uh ruling uh the 2020 bsl act so t t t tell us about that that was a significant moment in in Lawan's uh you know life and for as well as for the uh, deaf community in the UK. So tell us about that act and how it can help children like Lawand and others in, in, in the UK and, 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 uh, and others. I'm talking about uh, immigrants and people traveling to, uh, to the UK to have that opportunity, to get those opportunities that Lawand had. Tell us more about this, please. Yes, thank you. Yes. Yeah, so, um, so yes, the BSL Act um, is, British Sign Language. Uh, 
Exactly, yes. The British Signings Act is a thing that basically got passed in March of 2022. And specifically, it is a law that basically means that the like protection, support, and inclusion of deaf people in the UK is like a is is now at legal level. So a, a really kind of um, an example that um, one of our deaf producers always uses is that when you go to hospital, um, often lots of people experience this who are deaf but have hearing kids that when they go to a hospital and they're say getting their results for a really important health situation mm-hmm. there won't be interpreters there so the doctor is telling uh the kid who might be a hearing mm-hmm. kid which mm-hmm. then informs their parents through sign language of of this news i mean it, it's, it's such a such a crazy and obviously completely wrong and flawed system so obviously the bsl act is there to make sure that um quite simple but really important things like interpreters are always mm. there at these really pivotal mm. moments of life in the UK for for deaf people and for people that are from a deaf family. Um, so this this was obviously bubbling away for quite a few years. Like one of a version of it got passed a few years ago. But then this this uh moment in March of 2022 was when the kind of like final piece of the puzzle was was being hopefully passed in court. Mm. Obviously, the 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 day which was uh, March eighteenth, you know, that day was was I guess every deaf school in the UK, you know, was obviously very aware of it. And at that point, in in Luanda, his family sort of journey, Luanda had asked his parents, "Can we go to London and be part of the rally and go to Trafalgar mm. Square and see it?" And you know, we I want to be there to help, you know, drum up that energy to make sure that. Um, all the politicians are, are, are seeing us, and so mm. it was amazing. Basically, so obviously the family went. We were there filming, and, and um, you know, I think Luand, you know, Luand already was beginning to have that sort of um, belief in change for the planet mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and society. But I think seeing that moment, you know, sometimes you, you can read things and you can understand things, but I think going and being physically with people. And 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 mm. and and participating in something like that—it's so profound. And obviously, I think Luan was just so emotional and mm. sort of just quite in shock, seeing so many people from all around the UK that felt exactly mm. like him. And that was just—that was just—that was just an amazing thing. And, and to be there with him filming, but just to witness it as well was just—it was just such a joy. Yeah. And for us at Medical Humanities, well, uh, one it's uh, very relevant to us because the theme for uh, Medical Humanities this year was access to care. And access includes being inclusive mm. for all yeah. uh, communities with all their uh, abilities or different abilities, inc- obviously, including the, the deaf community. So access uh, and having that legalized is quite a milestone. And actually one of the yeah. human rights fights that uh, Medical Humanities, our journal, is uh, championing. Uh, lastly, I would like to ask you, uh, uh, Ed, about how do you see uh, Name Me Lawan, the documentary film, uh, as a campaigning uh, tool for advancing the fight for uh, better rights for the deaf community? I mean, about uh, the role of uh, film in activism and social reform for all communities, but in particular the deaf community. So tell us a few uh, words about how uh, the film can be used as a, as a platform. My favourite films are, you know, great stories told really cinematically, but 
that they allow bigger conversations to happen sort Indeed, of outside yeah. of the film. But I really like films that focus on something quite small and bring the audience in and, and amplify that, that sort of one quite small personal moment. But then mm-hmm. after we watch the film, we can then talk about these bigger things. And that's something I'm definitely really proud of with Naomi Luan because obviously it's so specific to Luan and his, his one situation. Um, but it might allow bigger conversations to happen. And if our film can be part of the bigger conversation or even shift the conversation, then obviously that is something that we're all, myself and all of the deaf filmmakers that work with me, everyone's obviously just so excited about what what could happen. Um, I think there are two things. I think one, obviously, yes, like every any film that can help um, the rights for deaf people in the UK, obviously connected to the BSL Act, that's, that's going to be a positive thing. Lots of the people mm-hmm. that I've been working with have been saying, you know, why isn't British Sign Language taught in mainstream hearing schools? Um, mm-hmm. That, you know, for example, like in the street that Luan's school is in, there's a hearing school, you know, 30 mm-hmm. seconds mm-hmm. down the road. If at the hearing school they were being taught um, British Sign Language, as well as all their other subjects, then they could communicate with all these kids and then they'd have more friends and, 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 and there would be just a greater empathy and understanding. Mm-hmm. So that is definitely something that I guess my film team are excited about, that idea of pushing that. I guess also specific to Lawand is obviously his time in various refugee camps, specifically the camps in Dunkirk uh, and mm-hmm. Calais in France. And um, the aid and support that was that was missing, that was lacking for mm. a kid like Luan was pretty crazy. And a really amazing group of, group of people called Deaf Kids International, sort of totally off their own backs, um, just as sort of individual volunteers were going over to the refugee camps. Um, and mm. these volunteers, um, they all speak sign, as in they all communicate in sign language, and some of them are deaf. And they were basically just going over there to see whether there were any kids like Luan, yeah, exactly, that might not be able to communicate their needs. And obviously that's a big part of Luan's story because the sort of first, I guess, significant deaf adult he meets is this guy called, well, in the film, he's called The Volunteer because that's how Luan remembered his name. Um, Mm. He's this guy who's who's called Steve, who's actually the founder of Deaf Kids International, who came over and found Luan and helped Luan in the camps and, you know, sort of fixed his hearing aid and started to teach Luan his first signs. There's so much work to be done with how the right aid gets to everyone in in refugee camps and in those sort of, um, you know, in in those intense and vulnerable places and situations that um, Mm. we're, we're hoping the film can start those conversations as well and sort of further the work that people like Deaf Kids International are doing. Absolutely. And, and I, and I uh, share uh, my voice that uh, uh, to yours and Lawan's and, and, and Rowan, and the family, that change is happening, uh, but there's more needs to be done. And I think you, uh, uh, your film is a definitely uh, powerful uh, tool in um, continuing the conversation, shaping the conversation and uh, beyond to in, uh, involve uh, deaf community in the UK and uh, internationally. So I cannot recommend your uh, um, film uh, Name Me Lawand higher to the listeners, to the audience. I hope that upon its release that it gets seen as, as wide a community as possible within the deaf community and in the hearing community. So thank you very much, uh, 
uh, Edward, for sharing with us your beautiful, poignant uh, film that I enjoyed uh, immensely. Uh, Thank you. Uh, Anything you want to add? Only that, uh, yeah, thank you, Kelly. Yeah, such such a joy to to be able to talk about it. And um, Luan would be very, very proud that his story is being sort of discussed in this way. So, yeah, thank you, mate. Thank you so much, Ed. Uh, it's great to have you with, with us today. We look forward to continuing the conversation. Uh, so thank you very much for your beautiful film. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Medical Humanities Podcast. Since 2020, transcripts are available for all shows on our blog. Stay in touch by reading the journal and blog online. Just follow the links in the episode description. We are also on Twitter as medhums underscore BMJ.